to be This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me today, I have a full house today, although I don't have a producer, I don't have a co-host, but I do have three of the original members from the legendary British Invasion band, The Zombies. So let's go around the table, and first, let's hear, uh, just so you know who uh, you're listening to, Colin Blundstone. Colin? Hi, this is Colin Blundstone. I'm the lead singer with The Zombies. Uh, Colin's on the blue mic. I'm on the black mic. And my name's Rod Argent. I'm the keyboard player and singer. Last but not least, it's myself on the red mic, and I am happily to be the drummer. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Uh, Colin, Rod, and Hugh. This is amazing, you guys. To have you guys uh, here in the studio, is uh, it's a big thrill for me, because um, Odyssey and Oracle, I'm one of the late-to-the-party Odyssey and Oracle people. And ever since I found this album, when I would ask people about it, everyone who knows the album says, that's one of my top five favorite albums of all time. And everyone that I've introduced to it says, how have I never heard this album before? So that's the great thing about music. It's here forever. And I'm so bummed that I haven't been able to listen to this for the last 50 years, <laughs> but hopefully I'll listen to it for the next 50 what we like, <laughs> yes. what we like about it, really, is that uh, you're one of many, mm -hmm. and uh, thanks to the guys, these guys' hard work over the years, coming over here and playing it, um, tr tracks from it, um, it, it, it's made the success it is now. Yeah, it's and and I was at the show um, the other night, and you guys nailed it. The audience was, and the audience was, it was all ages. There well, were. That's the great thing. I mean, it, it really the thing that that flatters me flatters us mm -hmm. and and sort of moves us the most is the is the fact that the album seems to be able to relate to people of all different generations and i i still can't get my head around that there was a there was a, a moment a couple of years ago in the philippines when because we were huge in the philippines in the in the late 60s and um a grandmother now who was at the original concert had come along and she must have known somebody because she came backstage and she dragged her granddaughter. And the granddaughter came up to me and said, do you know, I came here tonight kicking and screaming. I did not want to come. She said, but you sang, you know, you, meaning the band. The band. Uh, sang a song tonight. One of the songs you sang tonight was called A Rose for Emily. She said, and I was in tears in the middle of it. And I thought, well, if we can move a 19-year-old girl to yeah. tears that has never heard the record even, and, and she's responding to the, the song and, and how we're doing it, then we must have been doing something right. Well, I've been playing the album now nonstop, constantly. And uh, I have a 16-year-old daughter. I have a 12-year-old daughter, too. But my 16-year-old daughter gave you guys the highest compliment. She said, uh, this isn't as bad as the other stuff you play. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it all worthwhile. Makes it all worthwhile. When you get a comment like that. And she... Uh, and then her and my wife listened to this podcast called S-Town and Rose for Emily. Rose is, for is, yes. And it, they were listening to uh, it the other day. And at the end, my daughter said, oh, this is that zombie song. And my wife was like, how, how do you know that? How do you know the song? She's like, because this is dad's music. 
So anyway, back to the show the other night. First of all, phenomenal. You guys, there's a sincerity that comes from the three of you on stage that it's not, you can't fake it. I've been to many shows where the stage patter is, you know, you're like, oh, these guys, this is, they don't even know where they're at. But you guys are totally locked into this crowd. And it is, it was moving. It was joyful. Uh, you guys got a legitimate standing ovation that night. And I was really, I was happy to be in the audience, but I was happy for you guys uh, performing up there. It, it, that must feel amazing, Colin. It, it really does feel amazing. I mean, uh, we've had an incredible reaction to this whole tour. We've been here now nearly three months. And every night we've played, every night there's a standing ovation at the end. And often there's a standing ovation after each track, which <laughs> means that it takes quite a long time to play the, the whole album. But the reaction has been fantastic. And... And our feelings about playing on stage, is, as you just said, we, are, we genuinely love playing live. And hopefully that does come across. You know, we're not just going through the motions. And we don't take any prisoners when we're on stage. We're giving it all we got every night. If I didn't feel this way, I wouldn't say it. I would move on to other things. So I'm being sincere with you guys also. Well, Hugh, Hugh said a few minutes ago about Colin and I having come over quite a lot in the mm. last few years. And that happened completely by accident. And it was a very natural thing. And the, the whole thing is we're honestly not doing this because we think we've got to try and make a bit of money. We've got to try and make a bit of... Uh, we've got to try and make a buck by um, going over, raking over the old embers. We, we've never thought like that. Right. We're doing it because it felt like a buzz to be able to do these things again and to do new music within the context of the... Because that's very important to us as well. Yes. So in a sense, we're not, I'm not trying to be you know, righteous about it, but we are doing it for the right reasons. We want to make as much money as possible. That's fantastic. But as a side issue to actually trying to get to the end of whatever we're doing and thinking that is absolutely the best that we can do. We're still excited about creating new music, about rediscovering some of the old Zombies tracks that we never played live first time around as well. I mean, that's, right. that's been a revelation too. Um, and so we're genuinely doing it in the same way that we were doing it when we were 18. It's the same spirit. And it's absolutely... Um, I think, the only way to do something. Additionally, it's also worth pointing out that uh, we were friends back in the 60s and that has lasted throughout the decades and we are still friends now and that shows on stage, I think, as well. You bastard, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till I get you outside. Let's go, I'm going to go way back to 1964, the year of my birth, and I don't know how old you guys were at this time. This is the first single, She's Not There. That's right. She's not there whilst, yeah. Written by Rod, this uh, number 12 in the UK, number two in the US. Number one in Cashbox, which... Mm, number um, one. Very, very interesting that the, the Beatles on the, the Ron Howard film. Who was that band you mentioned? Uh, the Beatles, do you remember I'm the not Beatles? quite sure if no, I no. know who they are. It's not... It's, a few it's a play on words, you know, <laughs> Beat, Beat, Beat yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. um, but um, on the Ron Howard film, uh, when they got their first number one in the States, they showed the Cashbox chart. Because the Cashbox and Billboard were absolutely equivalent. Right. And we were lucky enough to make uh, number one with uh, She's Not There. Uh, it even made the nine o'clock news back in the UK, because mm. I remember phoning home that night. Um, and also Time the Season made number one in Cashbox. Yes. But in Billboard, it was two and, and three. You know, we didn't quite make the top spot in Billboard. Oh, well. So we oh, still well. call it number one. Yeah, sure. we do. I would. Well, this is She's Not There. Let's hear a little bit of it. Such a cool bass line. 
So good, never gets old. Oh, thank you. Uh, does it, I, I assume it doesn't get old to play it either. And it doesn't. Um, it's Quite always right. a joy to play it. And I'm so pleased that you played the mono version because uh, we only had four tracks to record mm-hmm. in those days. And on the mono version, um, a little drum flam was added, which I think makes a, a big difference to yes. the, the hipness of the track. Sure. But that only exists on the mono version. Correct. And I often get asked... Uh, Hugh, how do you play that? So I have to slow it right down and show a few people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, uh, when that, the prospects of recording came up, uh, we got off some time, uh, a contract and some time in Decca Studios, and we had a producer called Ken Jones, and he said to us, uh, you know, and, and just in the middle of a long conversation, he said, we've got a session coming up in two weeks' time. You could always write something for this session. And then he went on and talked about other things. And Rod, I, I completely forgot that he said that, but Rod went away and wrote She's Not There and came back about two or three days later and said, look, I've written this song. And I was absolutely amazed. I had no idea he could write songs. And he played us that, and we knew it was a special song right from the beginning. So if he hadn't written a song, we would have done some R&B R&B classics in yes. that first session. Which is what the, everyone did, the Stones, the Beatles, that's what everyone was well, doing. that's what we were doing. Yeah. You know? and, and, but then out of the blue, he wrote this song, and I think we recorded four or five tracks in that, that first evening in um, Decca Studios. And all this time, still, it, it, it still resonates. People still love this tune. Do you know, I think, well, I think one of the reasons why maybe our stuff hasn't dated as much as some of the mm-hmm. contemporary... Uh, stuff that was around um, is again coming back to this point of doing things for the right reasons because we never tried to copy what was going on you know record companies were always saying to you oh why don't you do something like this you know which was yesterday's hit yes or or whatever and uh, we always just got excited about a musical idea got around the piano usually in my mum's house my dear old mum passed away at 100 just a few weeks ago Um, and uh, we work something out and get excited by it. And uh, the actual format of the composition of, of She's Not There is very odd. Mm. It, it's, not, it's not a couple of verses, middle eight. and it's, it's one verse, a bridge, leading to a climax, which goes to a major key and then da- back down to the minor again. But we didn't think about that. We just made something that worked for us. Worked on the harmonies. I loved Colin's voice. So I wanted to do something that ended with him just on a high A... You know, so we're putting all these things. The very first thing I wrote in the song was the bass line. You mentioned the bass. Yes. Line. The bass and drum part was integral to the way the thing was put together. So it wasn't quite like some of the way some of the other songs were being put together, but it was from the heart. And that's the way we still write now. It almost has like a cool, jazzy feel to it. It's just so. It has that in. Nothing like it. And, and I think one of the reasons is but we never thought of it having any jazz content at all. But. Um, I, as well as being in love with, you know, as a writer, as well as being in love with the early Elvis, with uh, Mystery Train and Hound Dog and That's All Right, Mum, and all those sort of things, um, and Little Richard and all the great rock things, at the same time, I was 
totally knocked out with the Miles Davis band yeah. around 1958, 59, 60. And I listened to so much of it that I think some of that, I, I just thought of us, I thought of us doing a beat, you know, being the Beatles, you know, going in there and yeah. being the Beatles. <laughs> right. But actually, when it went through the filter of our separate consciousnesses, it came out with all these sort of indirect influences which formed part of the, the soup, if you like, you know, that, that made the meal. And, 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 and it turned out to be something quite original. And I think for that reason, um, maybe it still relates to people now because we weren't just trying to get on the coattails of the fashion. Right. Was going on. And let's mention the other the other players on that song are Chris White yeah. and uh, Paul Atkinson. Chris White it, uh, has this bass sound, which it's very interesting when we play on stage yeah. because you know Col and I have got a, what, what we call the current incarnation. Aside from this tour, sure, um, that did the first half, uh, and we've got a great bass player in Jim Jim Rodford. But his sounds, Chris has his own His own character. style, character. And, and you know, I, I, I did play. notice that because in the second set, Jim, uh, he, he does background vocals. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I've loved Jim for, for I've loved the, all the Kinks albums he plays exactly, on. Exactly, yeah. He, he, dancing. He, yeah, I mean, but yeah, when Chris came out and started to play, I was like, oh no, this is a different thing here. It's a different sound. Yeah. And the character is, of Hughes drumming. And the, and the character of myself with Chris uh, makes us the best rhythm section in the world, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, who's going to argue? No one in this room is going to argue. Thank you. <laughs> now, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around a little bit because I want to jump to the song that you guys opened the show with the other night. And I want to talk about Colin's voice. You guys opened with I Love You, yeah. written by Chris White. Mm-hmm. It's actually a, this was actually a B-side? It was a B-side to Whenever You're Ready. Whenever You're Ready. I think it was, yeah, but then it was covered by a band called People, and it was actually a top three single in the States. Um, but it originally, obviously... Canadian band, I think. I think yeah. they're Canadian, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it originally, it was written by Chris White, <laughs> and it's a, it's a Zombies tune, so we, we feel uh, that we're within our rights to put to it play in it. our show. Yeah. Well, look, this is a very ballsy song to open with as a singer, because it's holy... I had to persuade him a bit, uh, many know, times. There's a top B in that. And I said to Rod, you know, couldn't we just play this work up to fourth up or to fifth? Have we, yeah. we, we, we got to open with this song, you know? Well, let's, and I said, yes. Let's hear the studio version, and then you'll, you'll realize what I'm talking about playing this live. Is that I was just to <laughs> emphasize the point that you made, Rod, about Chris and his bass playing. Um, and when you listen to it again, like it's we are right now, yeah. very yeah. distinctive yeah. and very perfect. So, uh, you guys are going to want to go home and pull out all your old records and put headphones on and listen you're to them. So, right uh, now, that's amazing. The other night, when you guys opened with this, very cruel trick to play on your longtime <laughs> mate, Colin. <laughs> I'm only being true to our origins because she's not there was an absolute swine to go into a radio um, 
at nine o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and had to sing, let me tell you about the wishes. <laughs> you know? And the thing is that all the songs we play are in the original keys. You know, but a lot yes. of people, they bring the songs down as they get older, but we play them all in the original keys. So some of them, you know, you've certainly got to focus to get those top notes. <laughs> we, we, played, we played one... Uh, we played two new songs um, uh, that you m- must have heard. Yeah, song. you played them uh, from Still Got the Hunger. Yeah, yeah. And, and there was a song called Edge of the Rainbow. And I thought I'd have some fun on that because I wanted to, whoops, I wanted to write um, something that had the structure of an old Ray Charles song, mm-hmm. you know, which is what I did and really enjoyed doing it. And, and then Colin came round and we had the voice and piano rehearsal. And I deliberately, at the very end of it, put uh, a, a note that was uh, one note higher than She's Not There at the very end, because I knew he'd enjoy it, you know. And, uh, so, 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 so we're still doing that. We're still doing that. Now, yeah. now I want to ask you, as, as the lead singer who has to hit these notes and sing these songs, do you, what do you do to keep your voice uh, in check? i tell you the thing that I avoid is after show, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people come around and it can get very, very loud. Um, maybe there's music playing and people's voices get louder and louder and that can be quite dangerous because you find you can lose your voice after just trying to keep up with the conversation so often I'll say hello to everyone and then I'll go we found I mean I found this after the LA LA gig that you're talking about Um, we went you know obviously loads and loads of people including Jeff Emmerich the original uh, engineer uh, engineer including me I was back yeah (laughs) absolutely but but with, with time of the season you know so a lot of people we had to meet and, sure. and it gets louder and louder and louder and you don't realise it but you're shouting and you're shouting for about an hour and the next morning I mean Colin went before I, me I, I was, was trying first. to go but I, I couldn't, couldn't get out the door <laughs> and uh, next morning I woke up you know my voice was really relaxed you know and, and, and Rod you were even in the, in, the, in the side room so you weren't in with no. all the people people had to look for you right right <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I was the first to leave yes you and, yes and that, that's that's for that reason mm-hmm. but the main thing i do uh two or three things one is you know we used to go to lots of parties and there's a big social side when we were 19 and 20 right well that i don't do any of that you know after the show i get to the hotel as i think you have to pace yourselves don't you, 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 you know as you get older you do have to pace yourself but the main thing is both rod and i started with a singing coach probably it's about 12 or 15 years ago now called ian adam and he taught us a little bit about singing technique how to protect your voice and also he gave us a series of singing exercises and i do those exercises before sound check and then again before the show so before the show, I've, I've done the exercises for half an hour before sound check. Sound check could be half an hour. Exercises before the show, mm-hmm. half an hour. So I might have sung for an hour and a half before the show. And that helps me get well, the top note in I Love You. That is, <laughs> well, that is definitely... Uh, the, see, when I go to a concert, uh, if the drummer makes a mistake or the keyboard player or the bass player, I, I don't know because I don't play an instrument. But if the singer isn't on point... You can tell. You yeah. know. Yeah. And, well, um, some singers amaze me. I've heard singers say, that. they'll say, um, <laughs> you know, by the, by the fourth or fifth song, my voice was really warmed up, and I thought I was really, you know, singing well. I thought, well, why don't you warm your voice up before you start? <laughs> before you start. And then you'll be singing well from the first. <laughs> from the, from the yeah. jump, right. Yeah. That would make sense. It would make, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to jump back now to December 64. This went to number six in the U.S. Let's hear a little bit of Tell Her No. 
And if she should tell you, come closer And if she tempts you with a charms Tell her no, no gorgeous just unbelievable um now Hugh, you were talking about you guys are still friends and when i was doing my research and i was uh, investigating some of colin's solo albums that's when i noticed that even though the zombies were not active uh you guys were like involved with each other's projects that's well right. we were because the thing is that um we really broke up for commercial reasons. Chris and I, as writers, mm. actually always had a good income because later on we found there was never a time when we didn't have a hit record somewhere in the world. But in those days, you didn't know about it. I mean, nowadays, you know, you can have um, a hit in uh, Guatemala and, and you'll know within an hour, yeah. you know. But in those days, it took months and months for anything to filter back. We were very much... People didn't travel as much. We were very much based in the UK. So Chris and I were having... Who have, we had very honest publishers and we had a lot of income coming through to us. The other guys didn't have a penny, really. And it, the, the, the catalyst, as I remember it, was Paul Atkinson saying, look, guys, I've, I've, I'm getting married and I haven't got any money. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got to move on. And, and that was the catalyst that started breaking the band. We should sort of say that um, this happened because the people who were looking after us with regard to live yeah. playing were not the best people to So you weren't, you weren't making a, a, the, the people that weren't contributing as much uh, in the writing aspect were also not making, you guys weren't making a lot we of money for nothing. the live gigs. We made no. nothing. Okay. We made nothing. Live. I mean, it wasn't that we couldn't buy a third car or a, or a, a, <laughs> right. a seventh house. We couldn't eat. That's yeah. the trouble. And that's no good. And we no. later found out, uh, Chris, only a few years ago, met one of the guys that worked within a particular management company and, and Chris said, I can never forgive X for yeah. ripping us off so, so much. And he said, well, we always said that if we hadn't have done it, somebody else would have done. And he admitted to Chris that in the 60s, we were ripped off to the tune of £2 million. Now, can you imagine how much money that is if that was that in the 60s? It, this, is this, the, this, story is, this story never ends. Everyone has this, everyone has this story. It's so... It's so awful that you guys... So often in the it 60s. Certainly, it certainly happened in the 60s. I wonder how much it happens now with young bands. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's still happening now, but it, it certainly was very prevalent in the 60s. And it wasn't, it, it helped, in a way, it helps me to think it wasn't just us. Right. But we weren't just being naive, because when we started, we were very aware of the fact that this could happen. Mm. And we tried to protect we ourselves, did. but we were we 18 did. years yeah. old. You don't know anything when you're And do you know, the, base, the basic rip-off that was happening is so simple. They were double-selling us, so that when we did a concert, it's really, really simple. He sold us for, you know, a, a thousand pounds, for instance. I'll just use that figure. Okay. A thousand pounds to the promoter, but he told us he only got 200 pounds. Oh. Because his wife had the agency, which is against the law now. But so he, he, he um, you know, we were actually being paid 100 pounds, but the agency were getting a thousand or, or whatever it was. Here's what bothers me. Instead of... Instead of coming up with these ways to cheat your client, yeah. why don't you come up with ways to help them profit 
and then and you'll profit then more everybody also. Everybody and everybody, and everybody profits. Yeah, this, this is the irony of it. If he'd have if he'd have been honest with us and stuck with us, he would have made far more money. He lost so much money. Lost lost so many artists. Didn't I he? know. So mm. yeah, I mean, he lost the Searchers, Dusty Springfield. He had Cliff Richard, who was yeah. a big artist oh, yes. in the UK. Um, like, you know, he had all these pictures on the wall, and I always remember John McAnally from the Searchers saying, "The question he should have asked when he met Tito is." Why don't you still represent yeah. all those people right. whose yeah. pictures you've got on the wall? Which is a, it's a that's very, very telling. Question. It's yeah. very telling. Yeah. So if he'd have stayed with us, he uh, he would have made far more money, and he would have had far more credibility in the business. He ended up a, a broken old, you know, an old man and a, and a bit of a joke, you know, with no prestige, and everyone knew um, how he conducted his business. And you guys are still on the road and yeah. uh, on Conan O'Brien last night and yeah. in Los Angeles and on tour. So I guess karma comes around a little bit. Now, as far as the publishing rod, so when Santana records, she's not there. You're, you're fine with that. Do you know what? The thing is, and again, uh, you know, I, I don't want to sound saintly all the time. Of course, I thought, fantastic. It's going to make loads of money. That's great. But what really knocked me out was I, I haven't had that many covers of my songs. I mean, I've had some, but... That was the first cover that I'd had that I... No, it was the second cover I'd had, actually, that I thought was brilliant. Um, and uh, when I heard it, I thought, this is a band that are one of my favourite bands of all time. And they'd been going through a fallow period where they'd had no hits for a while. Yep. And She's Not There was the song that brought them back, really, into the American charts. And it knocked me out so much because, A, I thought the, the version was terrific. B, I thought there was always an inherent Latin feeling in the writing of the song, and of course they brought that out. Yeah, they upped the Latin feel for that totally. song, for sure. And, and they brought out the, the, the slight, I'm not pretending it's a blues song, but they brought out the blues element in the, in the way the melody is constructed as well. And I just loved their take on it, because it wasn't a copy, right. it was their own thing. Bill Graham suggested to Carlos Santana that, that, um, that, that, that they should do that song. Because he was, he was Carlos's manager. Yeah. Pro he was probably maybe one of the good managers. I think he was a, a great manager, yeah. and, and he had his heart in the music. Yes. Well. He really, really did. Um, so I absolutely love it. The other uh, cover before that that I loved, um, the only song I ever wrote for somebody else specifically was for Dusty Springfield. And on her album, Everything's Coming Up Dusty, the first song is called If It Don't Work Out. And that was written over a weekend when we were on tour with Dusty. And she loved that, and I loved how she did it. And, and I was very proud of that one. Such a great singer. What's oh. not to love about Dusty? I know, really. Okay, well, I could, I could keep playing singles, but I feel like we should talk about Odyssey and Oracle since that's, the, that's what the tour is, you know, that's the linchpin of this whole thing. That's why Hugh's back on the road. Absolutely, and a deep joy it is too, I have to say. Um, Chris and I are having the time of our lives doing it. It seems to be even more magnificent than the tour in 2015. We're going to more lovely places, bigger theatres, and it's just a huge amount of fun to be playing again together with the guys. I was a, a little bit of a fly on the wall the other night, Hugh, because you were talking with another drummer and you guys were talking shop and it was kind of cool just to listen in to you guys. Oh yeah, you get me near another drummer <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm away and, and luckily on that evening I had the pleasure of talking to chief exec of Yamaha and once I'd realised that, uh, you couldn't stop me talking to him about <laughs> A, the drums of, of theirs that I was playing and special little pedal that I've got that I invented myself and uh, it was just... You know, I was in um, heaven just then. <laughs> now, what's special about that pedal? Okay, well, it, I mean, just very briefly, it, I like the idea of symmetrical sitting at the drums. 
and it meant that I wanted to have my right foot a little further out to the right than the bass drum, okay. which would be straight ahead. So I thought, how could I do that? And I found a single Yamaha pedal, and I found a double left-hand player's drummer, drummer's pedal, took the, the satellite pedal, if you like, cut the rod down, put them together, and I've got what I wanted. Sometimes you have to come up with it yourself. Well, you do. You do, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite inventive when it comes to things like that. Bit of an engineer. I inherited that from my father. who used to work for an aircraft company. You made, you made a table that I think we've still got. Way back when you were about 18 years old. Uh, oh, God, yes, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, I got into that. Woodwork. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into Odyssey and Oracle. Also, I, this is a question I know you guys have been, you guys are asked this constantly, but the name, the zombies. For example, when someone says Black Sabbath... And then I hear the music. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what Black Sabbath sounds like, like that music. But the zombies, and again, when you guys came up with this name, 2017, you hear the name, you hear the word zombie every single day and not necessarily in relationship to your band. It's just, it's in our consciousness now. We just say zombie apocalypse or there's zombie movies and TV shows. How did you guys grab this word? Well, you know, I sometimes say it's out of desperation because um, we'd been... We'd come up with a couple of names before. It's very, very early days. And, um, you know, the band had only just formed. And, and one of the first things a band wants to do is to have a name. Yeah. And to tell you the honest truth, we tried the Mustangs for a very short period of time. And then an even shorter period of time, we tried the Sundowners. And then as far as we can remember between us, it was our original bass player called Paul Arnold uh, who came up with the idea of the Zombies. And I've got to be honest, I didn't really know what a zombie was. He hated it. <laughs> and I, I, didn't love, really, I loved it. You I loved didn't it. particularly like the name either. But <clears throat> when, then, when, when you found out what a zombie was, that might not have helped very much. <laughs> Probably not, no. But I mean, by then, you see, what, the one thing that name is, is it's very catchy. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just caught on. And so without, we didn't question too much what it meant. We just wanted a catchy name that no one else was using. And, and that's really why we accepted that name. Let, let me take you back to the Beatles. Sorry. Sorry. Um, again, because when you, my immediate thought when I heard the zombies, I thought, that's great. Because A, no, nobody will have it. Right. B, it's got a vague um, sort of uh, exoticism to it. Um, because I knew that zombies were something to do with Haiti and... Uh, uh, slaves being used, you know, uh, risen from the dead and being used by uh, sorcery. You know, right. I knew that, uh, but in the vaguest possible terms, I knew that. And so I, I thought, yes, yeah, it's fairly exotic. And if you go back to the Beatles, nobody thinks that I know anyway thinks about either a play on words, you know, beat the Beatles, or little insects going around. They think of John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Right. And I thought, if we're lucky enough to do anything good, then people will just um, associate the name with the five of us exactly uh, and uh, and no one else will have it i have to take you to our first tv we did a, a ready steady go and manfred man were on and i think they were doing five four three two one um and i was wandering around the studio before we were due to go on and i've already told you about my love of miles davis and i heard miles davis playing from this dressing room and i knocked on the door and went in and it was manfred sitting there and i said is that miles and he said yeah he's under the table you know being <laughs> funny. Um, and I said, oh, God, I, I love this, this track. I think it was Milestones he was playing. And, uh, and he said, you're Rod Argent, aren't you? And I said, yeah. I thought, I'm very flattered that he knew who I was. You know? And he said, 
oh man, he said, I love your record. He said, but you have to change that name. <laughs> <laughs> and now, of course, that, I think that word, uh, as Rod quite rightly says, becomes synonymous with the group itself. It doesn't mean what it means, like the Beatles doesn't mean what it means. Right. You think of the Beatles, you think of the, the four guys. They say the zombies, you think of us. Yes, absolutely you do. I don't know many artists with the Z. I mean, Zappa. Zombies and Zappa. I don't know, I don't know anyone else. Z, 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 very Z, handy. Yeah, ZZ, ZZ Top, top. of course. Yeah. Yes. Do you Talk you about, about ZZ Top. Yeah, do, do you want to tell them the story about that? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, you, you go ahead. You, you well, the, 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 we found out just about a year ago, or maybe two years ago, that um, when time the season came out, um, obviously we'd broken up by then, so we weren't around. Which is very strange. I know. But, <laughs> when I mean, you hear that now. Well, I know, but the thing is, it was 18 months after the record was made. Sure. Anyway, um, so there was some fake zombies going around, and we learned because um, Frank Beard and Dusty from uh, ZZ Top had actually admitted in an article that they were one of the fake zombies. <laughs> Before so, they was easy to so anyone would just grab hold of that zombie's name and go out and play the songs? Well, and they did. Yeah, because they did. They, they, did. Yeah. they did, because there was no band, because we were all off doing other things. So there were many fake zombie bands. It wasn't just one. And more recently it happened. There was a British band came over here, and they were pretending to be the zombies, and they weren't very good. <laughs> and we were trying to... Which get, hurts the name zombies. Yeah, exactly. yeah, so we were trying to discourage them. And in my innocence, I thought I'd written a couple of letters to people and said, you know, trying to discourage them. And I thought maybe it'd work, because they suddenly, they stopped. And then we were told this story that there was a fan in the audience watching this not very good zombies band <laughs> who went backstage and pulled a gun on them oh. and said... Um, you're not Hugh Grundy, wasn't yeah. 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 No, not, yeah. You're, you're yeah. not Hugh Grundy, you're not the zombies whilst pointing a gun at them. And the guy said, yes, I am, didn't he? <laughs> I, I don't know who said what, <laughs> but they, they didn't play anymore after that. Well, so good. It wasn't my letters. I thought that I... was <laughs> <laughs> a man with a gun. <laughs> no. I, I don't support gun violence, but in this, in this case, maybe yeah. it was warranted mm. <laughs> to get those guys Absolutely. off the road. Let's hope it wasn't a real one. That's true. Could, if, any, if someone pulls a fake gun on me, I'm going to be just as scared. You're I'm just not gonna scared. Know, I'm not going to know what it is. All right, so Odyssey and Oracle. What are the... I've tried to find out the album sales on this thing. Do we know? No, because it's happened over such a long period of time. I do know that for the first 10 years or so, it hardly sold anything, even with a number one record around the world, I have to say. I mean, I know it wasn't, it was never hit in the UK, dear old UK, mm -hmm. even though everyone knows it in the right. UK, but it wasn't a hit there. It was a hit everywhere else. And it didn't sell. And then people like Paul Weller started to champion the record. And then people like Dave Grohl, people like Tom Petty, uh, the list goes on and on, and really up to the present day, young emerging indie bands. On on our book that we've just put out, Cage the Elephant have just come out and said this is one of the best albums they've ever heard, you know. And, and this goes on really to the, the, the present day. And it now sells, I mean, it, it doesn't sell like Dark Side of the Moon, but it sells more year in, year out, as evidenced by our royalties that we Absolutely. get all yeah. the time. Continually improving. Um, but do you guys have a, a gold or a platinum album from this thing? No, I don't think anyone's ever had the amount okay. that it's sold, to be honest. Pat. Maybe it should be, so that Maybe we could have be. a gold. Yeah, I don't think you deserve knows. it. I don't think anyone knows how much it's sold, but I, we know from our royalties that now year in, year out, mm. it sells far more than it did even when time of the season was number one. Well, to, to put it in context for people who haven't heard it, think about if you think Pet Sounds and Sgt. Pepper and Village Green Preservation Society, this album is right in there with those great works, without a doubt. Thank you very much. I know, mm. you know, 
currently I like this better because it's so fresh in my mind. Sure. And it doesn't get old. Play after play after play, the sequencing is perfect. Everything's like perfect. Do you know what? There's a, um, I'm, I can't tell you too much about this. Um, and I, maybe I should keep my, my trap shot. But um, there's, uh, there's a, is that hard for Rod to keep his yeah, trap yeah, yeah, shot? Is it a little yeah, bit? Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's half the show, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Talking. <laughs> but um, this guy, who's, who's quite a famous documentary maker, wants to make uh, a documentary about us and Odyssey and Oracle. And we've been talking it over in the early stages. And he said, he said, I wanted to see if I could get tired of this album. Because it, like you, very kindly, he said that it was one of his favourite albums of all time with some of those mm. albums you re- that you mentioned. And he said, so he said, in the last three months, I've listened to it a hundred times. I believe it. And he said, I can't, I can't make myself sick of it. I, I, I'm sure we would be sick of it if we heard it a hundred times. But, but, well, know, we played it pretty much a yeah, hundred times 100. in the last I couple guess, of months. Um, and Never get fed up with it. Okay. Never, ever get fed up with it. Even she's not there from way back the beginning times. Still love playing that, especially the end version. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's, hear, uh, let's hear the song that kicks off the album. This is Care of Cell 44. What's funny when I was listening to this also, I didn't um, get that someone was in prison. Care of Cell 44, I didn't even really, I don't know why it didn't click with me, but then when I was listening in the car with my 16-year-old, she goes, this is about someone that's getting out of prison. And I was like, oh, I don't think, oh, oh, no, you're right. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, yeah. Have you guys heard the cover by Matthew Sweet and Susanna Hoffs? I have, yeah. Can I play a little bit of it? Yeah. Good morning to you, I hope you're a little taste. I didn't know if you guys, I brought that because I didn't know if maybe you'd never heard that before no, or not. I've heard that. She's a, she's a sweetheart. She's been along to quite a few of our acoustic yeah, she's a lovely person, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she's been on the show. She's the fantastic. Tour, yeah. yeah, in the tour last year, bless her, she came along to a sound check um, and come up and sang uh, This Will Be Our Year swapped verses with Colin there and it was a deep joy just yeah, lovely it was and, lovely. and you're, you're a tall dude and she's a very tiny lady so that must have looked... Uh, uh, interesting. <laughs> Lower the mic. Not yeah. as uh, not as uh, exceptional as us standing with um, Conan O'Brien yesterday. Oh I yes, he's like he six five, cool. six six. Yes, yes. Um, big chap. Also, uh, Susanna Hoffs doesn't age. No, no, looks exactly no, the no, same. No, exactly. Uh, we talked about this song a little bit earlier. I want to play a little bit of uh, "Rose for Emily." The summer is here at last. The sky is overcast, and no one. Just her flowers grow While lovers come and go 
Now, the other night when you played this live, uh, Rod, you made it a point to tell the audience that the reason that, because um, when you play this, you have the original members and then you have the touring band also. And you made it a point to tell us that the reason that it was augmented is because you wanted it to sound exactly the way it was recorded. And when you recorded it, you were, I think you said multi-tracking yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And it was note for note. I mean, it was really, I felt like I was sitting there uh, hearing just sitting here with the headphones and listening to the album, except I had the pleasure of seeing you guys actually do it. It was fantastic. When, when uh, Chris White, because uh, it was he that came up with mm. the idea that we should do Odyssey and Oracle, because he said, you know, we've never played this through from beginning to end. And the current band that Colin and I have, we play about five of the songs because they work beautifully with just five people. But the ones that need all the extra notes, the extra keyboards, the extra harmonies, that we overdub because yes. we had more tracks mm -hmm. than we were used to. Um, flower when every note is there and we said okay if we are going to do this then it's going to cost a lot of money because we have a cast of well it's not thousands you know but yeah, sure. we have a lot of people on stage and, and we need three sprinters carrying everybody around etc 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 so it has to make sense um, and we said but only if we can replicate every single note that was on the original album and, and honestly Pat we do that and and one of our hardest taskmasters is Darian Sahanaja, who's the Brian Wilson keyboard player and a harmony arranger um, that, that is in love with Odyssey and Oracle. And, and it's so great having him because when we rehearsed uh, initially, he would say, you've almost got that, Rob, but what about that harmony you did originally? I'd say, oh, come on, that wasn't there. He'd He's say, keeping oh, you guys in check. He said, I think you'll find you did. You know, so he would play it to us. And I said, my God, you're right, Darian. So, yeah. you know, it really is every single note that was on the original album. And that's the way we wanted to do it. And that, again, that energizes us. Yeah. We're not just saying, oh, let's go out and make a buck. We're not. We're saying, Let's try and recreate this as it was. And Colin, you're probably thinking, stop trying to find these notes for me to sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, it, I was just thinking of two things. The first thing is that a lot of zombie songs, if you don't really concentrate and try and work out what the chord sequences are and exactly what the harmonies are, they diminish. They start to sound more ordinary. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'm invited to play with other bands. It's happened in the past. And I've seen them rehearse it, you know, and they, they want to just get it together in five minutes. And it doesn't, it doesn't sound anywhere near as good as singing it with the zombies. Um, and I forgot what the second thing was I was going to say. <laughs> I would think they would want to impress you more and, and be like, Colin's going to sing with us, so we really, let's get this exactly well, as close as we can. it nice to think that, but very They miss often, the subtleties sometimes. Yeah, they, they really do. And Not to mention a, the chords they miss sometimes. Yes, uh, with the, the, the chord progressions. Zombie songs are not easy to play. And if I, I tell you one thing about um, zombie harmony, harmonies, the basis of how we got our harmonies together, Rod is a great harmony singer. He was a chorister in the local cathedral. He understands harmonies. I, I was, a, especially at 19, a very naive singer. I was never meant, you know, originally Rod was the lead singer. It, it, I was the rhythm guitarist, but I became the lead, lead singer. And so what they would say is, you sing what's natural for you and having a high voice I will often when it comes to the chorus I take the top harmony it's just a natural thing to do so we would do that four or five times and establish that in my mind that's my part so I'm singing the melody up to the chorus and then I'm singing the top harmony then Rod would try and set 
a simple harmony for Chris because Chris has got to play bass at the same time as singing the harmony. And ver very often it's close to a single note harmony. But then comes the tricky bit. Rod, Rod's got to fill in all the holes. So because I've gone up to the top harmony, Chris is singing a single note. There's some very tricky harmonies that Rod's got to sing to fill in all the gaps. So I mean, you know, his part might be. It's not like most people do harmonies. I like that melody, yeah. Colin. Yeah, that's quite nice. Did you write that one down? Um, <laughs> we have it on tape now. Yeah. With most people, someone sings the melody, someone takes the top harmony, someone takes the bottom harmony, but we didn't do it like that. And people have come up to me almost in tears saying, how, how, how did this harmony work? Can you explain it to me? And that's the basis of it. I'm very really on... Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry I said we had to make it work for us. You know, that was... And that's how it worked. Right, very honoured to, um, to have been asked to sing the bass harmony on Changes. Um, so uh, happily at that time, I was singing the bass harmony with Paul. And um, so we recreate that on stage with Jim and I singing those bits, which is lovely. So and that, I do get to sing. It is more I'm glad you added that because I was going to say, Hugh, what are you doing? It sounds like everyone's doing that. What are you? <laughs> that, that's my little uh, speciality and I love that. And I play bongos at the same time and it's um, huge fun. Let me ask you guys a question as, as, as being three friends. When you guys want to continue doing zombie stuff, do you, do you get the okay from Hugh? You, you're, oh, absolutely. You're, you're fine absolutely with them? Absolutely fine with it. Why would, why would I not be? Um, these guys are out working their socks mm. off and they're promoting um, our catalogue, past catalogue, of course, Odyssey. They're doing songs, as Rod said, that don't require absolutely everybody on it. So uh, I, I'm just fantastic about it, of course. And I have to say, Pat, we don't... Um, we, we always acknowledge the other guys. We always do. Like, for instance, uh, we'd love to do new stuff. As well, well, you even had a picture of, of Paul up Paul there. At the end, because he's, you know, because we're doing this in as original way as possible, mm -hmm. and we do recognise Paul, Paul's contribution. But um, when Colin and I go out as a band, and we're doing all sorts of stuff from solo stuff, Argent, as well as, you know, things like Hold Your Head Up, as well as um, all the zombies stuff, we'll, I, I mean, I, I'll always give Chris the credit for writing the great majority of Hold Your Head Up, for instance, because people think it was me because it was Argent. But right. Chris wrote most of that. And I'm, even when it's just the two of us, I'll always say that. Um, we'll always mention, it with love and affection, you know, the guy's contribution. And in a way, we're trying to promote our whole life and, and, and our whole catalogue mm. um, without diminishing any, anybody else's contribution but also saying we came together in a very natural way because we wanted to play again and we put something together which evolved into what we're doing now right. and that's the new stuff as well as the old stuff and we're very proud of the new stuff and the fact that it made the, the Billboard Top 100 charts when it came out at the end of 2015 and we got a call from Billboard to tell us that you know, uh, oh my god I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, what, what's, what's going on? Keeping um, the dream alive I think yeah, it's called I, th I think you're right Hugh, so you know we're all all on the same page, I think. Cool. Absolutely. I only have you guys for a short time today because we still have a we still have a hard out, right, Mariah? Just so you guys know, I had uh, we were going to talk about New World, the album from '91. We we're going to talk about uh, as far as I can see and breathe out, breathe in, and still got the hunger. I mean, you guys, there's. It's not just about Odyssey and Oracle. I want people to know out there. I want you to to look uh, for these albums. 
the new stuff, the old stuff. Find this. Everything's on iTunes. Colin Sola stuff's on iTunes. Argent's on iTunes. So get out there and 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 find this music because. Can I just give you a little promotion here? Sure. Um, there was um, the first two Argent albums before we had a hit record. Uh, in many ways, are my favourite Argent albums, and they they get completely lost. One of the faults with them, we did them at a very small studio. We were just starting to make our way as a new band. And the sound was quite small on it. But they were remastered recently. CBS put out a, a five album or five or six album uh, uh, box set. And they did a fantastic remastering job. And those first two albums, at last, with the remastering, the sound matched up and competed with whatever you will find today and with the, the later albums of Argent as well. And unfortunately, they've taken it off the market now, but if anyone can listen to those, I think the stuff on the first two albums is a, an absolutely natural progression from the zombies. I think there's some wonderful stuff on that. And, and uh, you know, a little promo, you know, get people to look out for sure. Argent and Ring of Hands, those first two albums, because I think there's some wonderful stuff on there. And I'm, I'm excited now to start to delve into Colin's solo uh, catalogue. Well, mm. if, if Ground Zero, where would you tell me to start? Or the, the listeners to start. We'll definitely start with the first solo album, which was produced by Rod and Chris White. So it's it's almost uh, it's almost a Zombies album with just slightly you know, just a few few changes. Natural progression. Uh, natural yeah. progression, and uh, it's called One Year. That's my first album. Big and, hit in Europe and England. Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it was never a hit over here. But um, it was a big hit in yeah over at well, outside of the pond. Uh, listeners, find this album. Let's make let's make it a hit now. Very <laughs> yes, it would be great. I want to say that uh, uh, today is May second. You guys have shows coming up. May fourth, you're going to be in Houston. May sixth, you'll be in Dallas. And May eighth, you'll be in Ridgefield, Connecticut. And you said that was a, a makeup show. Did you have to cancel a show? Or Colin had a severe bacterial infection, and we we thought the tour was over halfway through. But luckily, you know, he's recovered from it. Yeah, he looks fantastic. Now. Yeah. Thank you. Do you think so? <laughs> <laughs> My plastic surgeon. <laughs> Done a great job. Yeah. I also want to thank a couple of people. I want to thank uh, your tour manager, Mariah. How do you say your last name, Mariah? Glur. Glur. Mariah Glur. Mariah Glur. Is, is, uh, I don't know how we managed to tour before she was with us. I mean, she's had a very, very complex tour this time. With sure. I won't go through all the... The difficulties that it's been a wonderful tour. Sure, the best crew that we've ever had, and Mariah's had to sort everything from top to bottom. And she's been brilliant. Is she is she a tough lady? Uh, Needs to be, and she is has to be. <laughs> very gentle <laughs> with us. <laughs> the most important says, thing yeah. is that we just follow her wherever she goes. She calls us. Uh, her, her ducklings. ducklings. Her ducklings. ducklings we yeah. just we just follow her. <laughs> she says <laughs> nine o'clock in the lobby. We are. Yeah. And I say no. It says nine fifteen on the tour. <laughs> Uh, also, Milani Rogers from Publicity by Design. She's wonderful. Yes. And uh, Carrie Mansfield from the label. Oh, the 50s. Is that Bruce Saraband? Saraband. Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's how you say it. But, um, get... Our main record company now is uh, BMG. Yes. They took over our... I, I was very proud that when we did our, our last... It still got that hunger. Um, it was put out on a small independent label at the end. And they did a great job. Mm -hmm. But then BMG have taken it over. Great. Fantastic. And the cover art for um, Still Got the Hunger is done by the same person who did the cover art for Odyssey and Oracle. Terry Quirk, and he used to be my flatmate, and Chris White was my flatmate when we were writing the album. 
which, it was all done from an apartment, you know. Which word did he misspell on the new album? Was it hunger or still? Which did he, was he able to spell everything? Please don't tell me. When, 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 when we first saw the finished artwork, that was the first time we realised that it was spelled wrongly. And we said, well, look, we think it looks fantastic. We've been on tour. Yeah. But I said to Chris, he's spelled Odyssey wrong. And, 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 and Chris said, well, we'll just get them to change it. And they said, no, 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 you've run out of budget. That's done. The album's uh, it's, it's done. That, that's coming out like that. And so I said to Chris at the time, do you know what we'll say? We'll say that it's a cross between, it's a play on words. It's a cross between journey, in other words, an adventure, odyssey, and ode, you know, like, like in the version of, of, of little stories. And this is a story put out. And we didn't even tell Colin and Hugh this. So <laughs> no, Colin and I were doing an interview. Quite recently. Quite so recently. Two or three years ago. And he told the story. And I told you. And I said, mouth. Rod, you've been telling me this other story about the ode and the whatever for nearly 50 years. And you bought it, Colin. Uh, yes, and I yes, bought it. Likewise. <laughs> you weren't alone. Uh, okay, I want to thank everyone in, this, in the Zombies organization. This has been smooth sailing the whole time. No one ever promised anything that wasn't going to happen. It was always like, we're still working on it. We'll let you know. Everyone was super nice. They were great to get me and one of my co-hosts tickets for your show this past week. And we got backstage and, and said hello to you guys. So I just want to thank the whole team. You guys really, really have a great team. And I, I can just tell. You wait. You've got another couple of minutes of this interview. <laughs> See what's now. <laughs> no, it is a team effort and it takes everyone to put their very best into it. We've had the greatest road crew. We've got obviously fantastic management. And this lady over here, as we said before, I can't say enough. She got you here on time. Great communication. The whole thing. Great job. Thank you so much. Were you familiar with the TV show here, Mad Men? Oh, yeah. And so do you get a call from them asking to use your song? It, it, these things happen in, uh, and they become a bit of a mystery. But we, we know quite often just before it's going to happen. And we knew that it was, you know, this will be our year. Yes. It's going to be on that seminal episode of Mad Men. So it, that was great because I'd really got into it late, Mad Men, and, and, and loved it and, and watched most of it. You know, so I was knocked out that that happened. Well, let's hear a little bit of This Will Be Our Year. It's, 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 it's in a great scene of the show, and it's, um, it's a great song. The warmth of your love's like the warmth from the sun And this will be our year Took a long time to come Don't let go of my hand now Darkness has gone This will be our year Took a long time to come And I won't forget The way you helped me up when I was done And I won't forget The way you said Darling, I love you You gave me faith to go I have to say, Pat, yes. you've played the right version of that again. I take my hat off to you. You've played the version that Because the, the brass was put on on the mix down it's missing on the stereo remixes. I'm so pleased that you've, mm. you've chosen the right two mixes of, the, of two seminal songs. That's great. Well, well, thank you so much. After I heard the stereo, I got the mono versions. Fantastic. That's where we put all our effort in the mixing of that because stereo was a new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we were told you have to mix it in stereo, but you've run out of money. So Chris and I had to put up 200 pounds. That's all of our own money to mix it in stereo. We didn't know what we were doing. We were much more conversant with 
mono technology. So it's it's originally recorded in mono, and then mixed then they in mono, and then we had mixed to remix mono. it in, in stereo. stereo. And that was uh, we did it in a separate room. It had just been set up. I prefer the mono mix of the album, but I don't mind hearing the stereo. It's great, except for that track where you have to have the mono version to get the brass, and she's not there. Where you have to have the mono version to get the extra drum. Right. Uh, it's it's cliched, but I'm going to play out with um, time of the season. It will yeah, also be the mind cliche. Okay, good. Uh, because there's so many uh, there's so many great tracks that if I had if I had hours and hours with you guys, we'd cover all those tracks. But I'll play out time of the season. Very difficult to clap along with that song. It's like a weird. I can't. <laughs> like I have some rhythm, but this at is, the show the other night, I tried twice. I'm like, I can't. I don't know what's going on. This is one of those things where we we rehearsed the song. It was it was written very quickly, mm-hmm. and we went into the studio. And Hugh played exactly what I'd sort of suggested, that it'd be great, you know. Mm-hmm. And he just did a backbeat, okay? And that's what we... He's the guy that's messing me up. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, he, no he just played a, a, an offbeat, a backbeat, yeah. you know. With the, with the tom-tom yeah. fill. The do, tom-tom, dung-dung. It comes on three. Yeah. And as we did, because we had the multitracks, I suddenly said to Hugh, Hugh, I can hear a little clap before the snare beat, and I... Afterwards, he said, well, go in and do it. Mm. So one take, I just went, and that was it. And uh, it was done as quickly as that. And then someone told me the other night, and I'd never realised this. They said, have you listened to All Along the Watchtower, the Hendrix thing? Chas Chandler uses exactly the same thing in All All Along the Watchtower. And I hadn't realised that, Hugh. No, neither had I. You're quite right. But also, when you you, um, look out at the audience... And, and, yeah. and people are trying to do it. It's, <laughs> some people get it. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a go, but some people get it, and some people are just all over the you place. I was all over the place. I stopped. I couldn't do it. You can always tell the young bands in the audience because they get it right. Because yeah. we almost always have a few young bands that come to see us. Sure. And you can see a little group of them go, do, do, do. If you sing that to yourself, do, 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 then the clap will come. Do the do, do, do first. Do, do, do. Well, I'm going to practice on the way home in my car today. I I think the clap comes on the and of two, and the and the breath comes on the and of three. One, two. Very nice. Well, thank you for coming up with that, you. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to go around the table real quick, Colin. Thank you for your lovely vocals. Well, thank you for having us here today. It's been great fun having a chat. Great. I'm so glad that you guys are here, Rod. Thank you for your tremendous keyboard playing. Uh, it was, I loved when you would just jam. You seem like a guy that would just, and sometimes I don't like a guy who jams. This guy's great. I could listen to this, this keyboard all day long. You want to hear some of the little jams we've had in the sound checks. Great fun. Great fun. <laughs> I bet. And Hugh, your amazing drum fills and just the sound is, it's just, it's impeccable. I mean, really, really phenomenal. Thank you for saying that. Pat. So, um, again, we're rock solid. Follow us at rock solid show. Zombies are on Twitter, and whoever's manning that Twitter uh, is is excellent. They're always retweeting and tweeting and yeah, all yeah, kinds yeah. of stuff. So let's uh, let's play out with time of the season, and then I'm going to get my picture taken with these guys. So here we go. Also, I got six signed copies. Uh, we will be giving those away soon. And thank you, zombies. Keep making music. Keep touring the old music. And uh, you don't don't go back to retirement, you. Stay out there. I'm not retired. I'm just doing something different. All right, good. (laughs) Here's time of the season. It's the time of the season. 